Thank you, Rory, for reading. That's the passage we're in, so I do hope you've got a Bible in front of you that you can see that passage. Uh, we're in a series in the Fruit of the Spirit. Normally, we preach through books of the Bible here at Reforming, but we, up until Christmas, are in this series because we think this is the perfect season for producing the Fruit of the Spirit. Um, there's an old agricultural analogy, and that's my background, so it's just something I happen to know, but uh, if you want to produce fine wool, you don't want to have easy seasons. You want to produce uh, grapes or, or things that have well-rooted, established plants. You want to have a soil that enables them to put down roots hard, to search for moisture, to search for nutrients. This is the kind of season we're in. It's not an easy season. I mean, it never was, but it got a little bit harder, didn't it? And hence, we are in the perfect season for producing the fruit of the Spirit. Romans 5 is where we're going to be, we're going to base our time there. We'll be going to other passages at times, but I'll let you know where to go. But if you can have a Bible open, have that passage in front of you, then God is going to speak to you. This is where He speaks to us. Let's ask for help in prayer. God of all comfort, Father of all mercies, we live in difficult days, in discouraging days, and we need a word from you today. We need to hear your voice. We need joy and sorrow. We need Jesus. We just read from Romans 5 and we see in verse 11 that we have the possibility before us of rejoicing in you, God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the possibility before us. This is the moment of our lifetime that if we are hearing this for the first time, we could be changed. Father, we're asking this for the person who's tuning in online or watching for the first time, the good news that you unfold before them, that you would save people. And Father, we pray for us who are seasoned saints, those who have been believers for a while and yet remain failures in many ways. Encourage us, give us joy, even in sorrow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll see on page five of the, of the Sunday booklet, there is an outline of the sermon, an outline of this message. That outline really follows the text of Romans 5, and we're just really focusing um, on those first five verses. Uh, we'll be look, looking at the verses as well, but I really only have two points this morning, which if you're a regular reforming is, wow, it's just two, it ought to be shorter. Well, I, you know, that, I know you don't like me commenting on the time, but it's, um, they're two profound points though, they're two points that I think that we need on days like today. We need especially because everyone is hoping for happiness. In times past, we wanted happiness and we thought we had it, or we thought at least next week we'll get it, or tomorrow we'll get it, or whatever it was we thought would give us happiness, we thought we'd have it. Now with season COVID, with COVID life, it always seems to evaporate a bit faster, doesn't it? It's like the sun has come out, it's all hotter, and happiness we thought was there in that puddle we could play in, and it now just disappears all the more quicker. Everyone, though, is still hoping for happiness even more in days of sadness. The most famous quote I could think of that speaks about happiness for human society, and you could probably think of others, comes from 
the US Declaration of Independence. There's a, there's a, there's a tool in, in for writers or speakers, and I often kind of use it, that's why today is a two-point sermon, which is extraordinary, because usually it's a three-point sermon. There's a, a writing technique, and it's known as a rule of three. You can actually Google this if you want, it's on Wikipedia. It's called the rule of three. Uh, the rule of three, you know, you might hear that we, we love God, we love people and make disciples, rule of three. It's pretty powerful. Jesus uses it in many ways, God uses it in the Bible. But the most famous rule of three that kind of humans came up with, I think, is in the US Declaration of Independence, and it has this line in the rule of three, and it says that life is about life, liberty, and the pursuit of, do you know what it is? The pursuit of happiness. When the US framers of that declaration said to Great Britain at the time, we're no longer kind of, you know, relating in the same way we have related, we're now a bit independent. And it was a bit of a thing back then when that happened. They said, the thing about life is, it's about life, it's about freedom, and it is about being happy. The pursuit of happiness was was embedded in what they wanted to, to do when they were forming a new nation. Now, why I also quote that is, today, if you Google and you can find websites that actually track happiness in society, I don't know how they do it exactly, but they must have some way, there's gauges and everything. You go to happiness.com or places like that, today, the United States doesn't make the top 10. The United States does not make the top 10 as a happy nation. Uh, Australia is ranked 12. So, we are the lucky country, the happy country, the happy-go-lucky country, and all the things you could associate with us, you know, the, the larrikin grin, second 14, light horse, and all the history of all that, the 10th light horse from Perth, you know, the, the charge of Bathsheba, you get the happy larrikins, that's us, Australia, right? We only rank 12. We're not the happiest nation in the world, haven't been for a long time, and that's before COVID. The other day, I was thinking about this message and thinking about joy and happiness and where I find joy and happiness and thought, where do other people find joy and happiness? Where do you find it? As I asked the kids in the kids' talk. So, I got my phone out because that's all I had at the time, the device at hand, you know, the great library that is the world's internet and I googled this and I said, "Um, how to be happy and here's what the first response was, stay away from social media and the internet. (laughs) The pursuit of happiness seems pothole with possible pitfalls, doesn't it? But even with all that, friends, you did not need statistics to tell you we are unhappy. Like we have moments, yes. You didn't need stats nor social media, Google, to tell you what you're feeling and what your family's feeling and what your friends are feeling in a season with all the complexities that we've been engaging with. We are generally not on top of the world right now and we'd like to be, but we don't know how. We don't know how to find real and lasting joy and happiness. Humans are wired for it, though. That's the thing. So, deep down, humans are, are deeply wired, embedded in us is a desire for happiness and it's been this way since the garden. Now, if you're thinking, what the, the, what the garden? Let me explain human history in a nutshell, but the Bible does a much better job. But go and read from the beginning, the first book is Genesis, it just means, that word just means in the, the beginnings of. In the Genesis, in the beginning time, 
God creates the universe with a word. That's how powerful He is. Like, I can't create much without using hammer and nails and a lot of broken bits, but God just speaks and it exists. That's how powerful God is. And the Bible shows us there's no kind of like, you know, just um, impersonal force. There is a personal God who relates to us personally, who makes things personally, and He makes a garden for His humanity personally, for us to enjoy Him personally. And in that garden, everything's going well, but of course, we decide, we say, actually, love what you've done here, God, love your garden, love the universe, get to look at it on a daily basis at night, this is all beautiful, we just don't want you. Like, we, we want your stuff, we want the life you give us, we want everything we get to enjoy, I get to go to work in the garden and do what I want to do, I get to go and play in the garden, I get to have relationships even, you know, there's Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, I get to do it, but we just don't want you around. We'd rather run things our way. I'd like to run my life my way, thank you very much, God. That's effectively what we did, it's called sin, it's the opposite of love and human evil has flown out of that in all directions ever since. That pretty much describes human history. We want to run life our way without you, God. And ever since then, we have been a sad, sad race of people. Human race is a very sad group of people. We have our moments, but from neighbours to neighbouring nations, we are not running the world very well. Some of us, if you just were honest with yourselves, not running your own life very well. I know at moments, I look at my life and generally we think we've got it sorted or we pretend we've got it sorted when really it's quite messy, isn't it? And we get a glimpse at times of how happy we could be, but we don't know how to get back there. We don't know how to get back to the garden. I'd like to preach through Genesis next year, we'll see how we go, you know, best laid plans, but I think it'd be a good book for us to be in for a while. We can't get back to the garden, that's the problem. Our sin, our evil, that comes out of our hearts, my heart, I'm in that camp, me too, I'm, in, I'm often wrong, it's so much about us, that means we can't go back and ever since then we've been living life in the pursuit of happiness and finding it's a phantom that we never quite catch, we never quite grab onto. That pursuit of joy evades us. But today, friends, today we get to taste and see the fruit of the Spirit again. The fruit of joy, the happiness we've been longing for, even if we didn't know it yet. You might be tuning in online thinking, oh, I, I, I thought I found it. And Well, let's take a look. In the Bible we see, which is really a collection of books, the Bible tells this human story of God's gracious relating to us you see, God has designed us for happiness. It's not an accident, it's not something we happen to come by. Oh, what's this feeling? It feels pretty good. I think we'll call it, mm, happy. And we didn't discover happiness, God has designed us for it. And so when we come to Romans 5, when we look at this passage, which has, in a couple of moments, you'll see, full of joy, full of happiness, you've got to say, well, God's done something here. Romans 5 is a snapshot of happiness, of joy. Now, I've heard over the years, preachers make a big deal about happiness and joy are two different things. 
So I just want to address this firstly. So the reason is, I've heard preachers say it, so you might have preachers out there, you might say, well, happiness and joy are two different things. The Bible doesn't make them two different things. And we can know this because if you go to Matthew 5, you don't have to, but if you, if you just want to go back a bit, just one of the Gospels, it's the first book of the New Testament. In Matthew 5, Jesus in His preaching, so Jesus is one of the things that Jesus does is preaching, in His preaching, in the famous sermon, He goes up a mountain on a hill and it's called the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Mountain. When Jesus is preaching, lo and behold, what does He kick off with? A bunch of statements of how to be happy. It's interesting, actually, because depending on translation, here's how we'll translate it. So, Matthew 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed, 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 blessed. Guess what word that could be translated as? Happy. Happiness. We see throughout the Bible, and I could show you later, there are many places where happiness and joy or gladness, same word, means the same thing. So when Jesus gets to in that sermon, verse 11, this is where it gets interesting for us in the times that we live in. Blessed, happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, even falsely, Jesus says on my account. And then he says, rejoice and be glad. Double happiness, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets they, who were before you. Jesus speaks about happiness and joy. And in Romans 5, this is also Jesus' words, God's word. He speaks in discouraging days about the joy that can come deep from within because the Holy Spirit is within those who believe in Jesus. It doesn't depend on outward circumstances. It's deep and abiding. It's abiding in Christ. And the first point we see is it's joy and justification. The last time we were in the book of Romans was in a memorable year, it was 2017. 2017 was the year of the Reformation. So, 2017 was 500 years since the Reformation started in Germany, in continental Europe. 500 years. We're going to actually, we actually celebrate this on October 31st every year. So, our kids think, you know, it's kind of Halloween because Halloween's all around and they get scared by that, and we remind them, actually, Halloween's kind of a, you know, it's a bit of a fad, yeah, a bit American, but, but Reformation Day, that's the day we celebrate. Because on Reformation Day, 500 years ago, or now 504 years ago, Martin Luther, who was a German monk, a Roman Catholic monk, who thought that if he just did good works, he'd get to heaven, just be a good person. He didn't find happiness in that. In fact, Martin Luther was one of those... If you see pictures that Martin Luther painted before he discovered justification by faith, and you see pictures after, there's actually a notable change. Before Martin Luther discovered justification by faith, he's gaunt, he looks sad, he's just an angry-looking guy. And then after he discovers it, you see pictures of him, he's put on a whole heap of good, healthy weight. He says things like, sin boldly because he knows the grace of God and the justification of God in Christ Jesus. It's Martin Luther who, after working out, we can't be right with God by our works, goes to a church door in Wittenberg, which is really the notice board, and nails up there 95 things I want to say about this. Reformation Sunday is next Sunday. 
We're going to have an annual congregational meeting. It's going to be a great moment for us. We're a reforming church, of course. It's, we, we hold the Reformation dear. And the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans, was pivotal in the Reformation. Because it's where Martin Luther, in the pages right in front of you, right now, discovered or rediscovered justification by faith and what it means to actually have joy in justification. When we read Romans 5, we read a context of what it means to be right with God, what Romans calls righteousness. Rightness of God, the righteousness of God is something that you can't look at for too long without looking at yourself and seeing how unright, unrighteous we are. To look at the righteousness of God is like looking at the sun. It's like staring at the sun and trying to hold your eyes there. To just look into the Bible and look at how righteous He is, is like trying to stare at the sun until you have to look away and you realise how unrighteous I am. For to us to live in God's presence, if we were going to meet Him, which we all will, so it's not if, we will meet Him, for us to survive that moment of death and judgment requires a righteousness we could never produce or never possess, but by the grace of God Himself. And this is the Gospel, the Gospel is this, the good news of God we see in Romans 5. Come with me to verse 6. Here is in a few verses, the good news of God in Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not when you had your life cleaned up, not when you had yourself sorted out, not when you'd, you'd done anything. Get it? He died for the ungodly. Verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. It's true, isn't it? You know this, a soldier will die for another soldier. It's rare, it's scarce, it happens. The Bible recognises one would die for someone else. They'll die for their friend, they'll die for their family, they would die for another good person. They say, that's a good person, I'm going to die for you. That happens, the Bible says, but get this, here's where it gets weird. Because verse 8, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you get it? Do you see? In the Falklands War, there was a sergeant, sergeant um, who, you know, he, he was leading his troops, his, his commanding officer, they were going up a hill and his commanding officer was wounded. Uh, most of the NCOs were wounded. And as they go up this hill, this sergeant, I think his name was Sergeant McKenzie, I couldn't be sure, but I'll get this wrong, but anyway, Google this later, you can find this out. The sergeant looks around and he realises if they don't take out the machine gun nest at the top of this hill, his platoon is wiped out, they're gone. There's no cover, there's hardly a rock and they're all pinned down and people are being wounded around him. And so the sergeant picks up two grenades, runs up the hill, jumps in the nest and he dies. He dies for his friends. We think that's an extraordinary act of valour, don't we? But here's what verse 8 says, Romans 5 verse 8 is saying, Jesus is the one who doesn't do what everyone else does. He jumps up, grabs a grenade and He dies for the enemy. He actually jumps on the grenade for the bad guys. He jumps on the grenade for His enemies. 
not his friend. He looks at the enemy and says, I'm going to die for you. Who does that? Jesus does. He does it for you. He does it for me. He does it for all those who are wrong and weak. And he says, I have come for you. This is the gospel. This is the good news of God. God shows his love, which is supernatural and it's amazing. Romans reveals that when we meet God the judge on judgment day, nothing will be hidden in the dark. There will be no excuses. There is a day coming in your lifetime where you will meet God in the face. There will be no way on earth or in heaven that we could try and justify ourselves. We need someone else to justify us. Can you imagine standing before the God who made the universe, the God whose righteousness is like looking into the sun, standing before Him and saying, but, 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 I, but I, but I, can you imagine just trying to justify yourself before that God? You will not survive. Do you think you can game the system with God? Do you think He doesn't see? He sees everything. And He sees that we are unrighteous. I am unrighteous. I cannot justify myself. I cannot right the wrongs to make me righteous. But now we read Romans 3. Romans 3, just go back a page. Romans 3 verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been made manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. You see, you can't work for your righteousness, you can't gain it by some other way, you can't you know, pay someone on the side and get some, you can't get a fake certificate of righteousness. You can't gain the system. The only thing between you and judgment forever, the only thing between you and hell forever, is that Christ came and says, I'm going to go to hell on the cross, instead of you, in your place, as a substitute on behalf of you, I'm going to fall on the grenade. I'm going to do that for you, out of love, willingly, because He wants to, because He loves you. So on that great last day in the courtroom of God, when everyone is there, and the Bible shows us everyone is there, great and small, kings to paupers, people that were unknown all their life, to people who were famous. And when we're all there, and you are there, and He calls your name, why? would you be able to enter into His heaven forever? There's only one reason. And it's not because your list of things get you in. In fact, your list of things get you out. The only reason is not even you in that room 
It's over there, it's Jesus. Because Jesus says, I died for that person on the cross. Friends, this is justification by faith. That is, you are justified. The word justify is the same word we get with righteousness. You are declared right because you rely on Jesus being the perfect one. He didn't need to be justified, but Jesus, who is the perfect one, died for imperfect people. And what we see in our little passage this morning, if we go back to Romans 5, is this. Look along with me, follow with your eyes, let it sink in. Romans 5 verse 1, I'm going to read it, I really want you to see this. This is the first and the finish of the first point. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. Being justified by Christ is... I mean, to unpack that alone would take a whole sermon series. We've preached through Romans before, it took a whole year. But to unpack justification by faith is like unpacking every Christmas gift you could ever ask for. There's so much in it. So in those verses, look what you get by being justified. You get peace with God. You get access to God's grace, hope of the glory of God. But here is where joy is born. Here is where happiness is born in the human heart, a joy like never before. We rejoice. Like we actually have joy because of justification. And it's not just a joy you get once. You go, well, I became a Christian a few years ago and, you know, that was a happy moment and now I just feel like, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I kind of, Jesus died for me. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll make sure that on the, when I die, I'll make sure when I die, I'm really ready. You know, I'll, I'll look into those things again. Now, look at the word, it's rejoice. It's an ongoing joy. It's an everyday joy of being justified in Christ. Friends, in a time where it feels like hopes are dashed, every news item, we just get a bunch of numbers. When it seems there isn't much to hope for, now because of God justifying you and me, here's where joy is born. It's born when you are born again. It's born when you continue to realize how great it is to be born again, to be justified by God, through Christ, that you trust in Jesus, it's by faith, that gives you a joy that cannot be taken away. And the second point, it means we have joy in suffering. We could talk about joy in suffering, we could have done that first. Uh, this year, we've been in books of the Bible, like the book of Job, we preached the whole book of Job. You ever seen the book of Job? That guy suffered. We were in First Peter, which looked at suffering. First Thessalonians also looked at suffering. We could talk about joy and suffering first, but if you don't get what it means to have joy and justification, you won't have the ability to have joy and suffering. People try to find joy and suffering in all sorts of places. If you're a Buddhist you realise that happiness can't be found in the things around that don't last. What, Buddhist, what does Buddhism teach? Don't love anything at all. Just don't have anything. Just don't 
have relationships, just, just to actually be disconnected from people, be disconnected from things, be disconnected from everything as much as you can, and then you'll have joy. You'll have a peace of knowing you just go into oblivion and there's just there's nothing before and nothing after, that's it. But the Bible doesn't teach us to be disconnected, it teaches us, well, firstly, we need to be connected to God, reconnected to Him through Christ. That's where joy springs from. And then you can have joy in suffering, not by being disconnected, but by holding on to Him. Look at Romans 5, verse 3. Notice in your Bibles, if, you're, if you write in your Bibles and you write lines and things, and I, I'd encourage it, I do, I know people freak out, but let me just tell you, See the numbers in your Bible? They were only put in there in the Reformation period, so it's okay to write around the Bible, you know, write notes. I like to use a squiggly line to do repeated words. Here's what I noticed. Squiggly line in verse 2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Then, not only that, here's another repeated word, but we rejoice, squiggly line, in our sufferings. Look how close they are. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God, verse 3, not only that, we rejoice, oh, what is it next? In suffering. What? How can we rejoice in suffering? Because the Holy Spirit we see in this passage has been poured into our hearts. Love has been poured into our hearts. Hope has been poured into our hearts. The Holy Spirit is able to produce joy in suffering. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans, also wrote 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, he writes, we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I talk to people, and sometimes people say things like this, I love that person's joy, I love that person's happiness, I wish I had that. But you've got to ask, it's not the happiness and joy that, that they have and you want, you've got to ask, why? Where is it grounded? A lot of people are happy or have joy just because of circumstances and you got them on a good day. But the happiness and joy that depends on circumstances doesn't last. Surely you know this by now. Especially the grown-ups. But if you have joy in Jesus, you can have a joy, a happiness that lasts even when you suffer. And we live in a world that's pretty good at dishing out suffering. The world will try and shame us. The world makes us weary. The world just adds burdens. It says, you're never good enough. The decisions you make are stupid. They don't suit me. I don't like you. Yeah, I kind of got on with you, but you didn't give me what I wanted, so now I'm just going to leave the friendship. The world constantly treats you like that. Christ does not. Christ does not. Which means you can be sorrowful because you live in the world and yet somehow always rejoicing because you're in Christ. That's the extraordinary nature of joy in Jesus. It does not depend upon circumstances. You don't have to G yourself up in the morning before you come to church. You know what? I'm going to church. I need to be joyful. So I just listen to that rock and music and I get to church and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But then what if things go wrong and I go home and I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not working for you, is it? 
But a joy in Jesus, you can have even through tears, you can have it even in suffering, you can have it even amongst frustration, that you know, I have a joy that lasts through this. And that produces a character like Christ. Everyone is hoping for happiness. Everyone wants to have such joy. But the kind of joy that depends on circumstances going well for you is really prosperity Christianity. The kind of joy that depends upon circumstances going well for you in this life is really a prosperity Christianity. It's not real, it's not lasting. Think on this, why? Look at real Christianity. What does real Christianity look like? It looks like Christ. And does Jesus have joy only when things are going well for Him? No. Jesus has joy that lasts through it. I've quoted this verse a few times recently. I'm I'm not sure if you can out-quote a verse or wear it out. Can you wear out a page in your Bible? Can you wear it? I think we need this. Think of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. You can go there if you want to, but this is, this is where we finish as we think about joy. A joy that lasts, it doesn't depend on circumstances. And how do we know this? What is real joy? What does real happiness look like when it comes to Christianity? It's not a prosperity. It's not that you're healthy all the time. It's not that you're wealthy all the time. It's not that things are going even well for you all the time. What is a real joy in Christianity? It looks like this. Who? For the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. That's what it looks like. It looks like enduring, enduring kind of happiness, enduring joy, that it can endure all things, in fact, we saw last week from 1 Corinthians 13. Let me read it again. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, doesn't it not? Does sin cling closely to you? It does to me. Sometimes you just can't get rid of it. It clings so closely. Let us then run with endurance. The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, verse 2, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sit at the right hand of the throne of God, where we will go. We have hope and happiness and joy that lasts forever, friends. It doesn't say that through the grittiness that was set before him, he just gritted his teeth and just, you know, he hated every moment. It it says somehow, and this is weird and wonderful, for the joy set before him. Joy that depends upon circumstances alone rather than Christ can be manufactured, but it will never be the genuine article. You can laugh and not mean it. Anyone can do that. Actors get paid to do it. It can be full of promises and never deliver. It can be fake it till you make it, but it'll never be found in heaven for you. But Christ Jesus, the perfect one, suffered the injustice and shame and judgment on a cross to justify imperfect people. Jesus is the God who suffers to save us, to give us grace and peace and hope and joy and happiness forever. This is the season to produce the fruit of the Spirit of joy by having your joy in Jesus. So the question is for you, do you? It's a diagnostic question. If I was a mechanic looking at your car, 
Yesterday, I tried to help out some people by getting my chainsaw that I bought 50 bucks off someone at a garage sale. So it's not, it's not great, but it is a still. Anyway, it has worked. And somehow, I can't, you know, chainsaw is like the simplest of engines. I checked the spark plug, I checked the fuel and everything. I could not get the thing to go. So now I have to go in embarrassment to a chainsaw place who's going to tell me everything I should have known in the simplicity of that engine. But you see, the thing is this, if I was going to be a mechanic and diagnose something, I'd ask those key questions, wouldn't I? If I was going to be a doctor, and I am not medical at all, I'd diagnose by asking some key questions. But what I am is a preacher of Christ. That's what I do. And I preach Christ to my heart and your heart. So here's a diagnostic question for you and me right now for our hearts. Do you find your everlasting happiness, your joy, is it in Jesus? How would you know? How would you test that? Think of the things you find happiness in or what you're hoping for even. At the end of the pandemic, at the end of whatever it is, what are you hoping for? What do you find happiness and joy in? Now, think of all those things. Think of them taken away in a moment, which they have been in many ways. All those things gone. Is your life lost? What if everything is gone? In fact, one day everything will be gone, except for you standing before God. Is your joy in Jesus? Because now, even if everything was gone, you still have Jesus, you still have joy, you can endure whatever that is for the joy set before you in Jesus Christ. That's the test. That's the diagnosis. Is your joy in Jesus? It needs to be, friends. It needs to be. Please don't leave here with talking more about that. We have coffee, we have tea, we have Jesus. And you need Jesus. It is Jesus who is saying to you now, and reforming church to us, imagine a world of COVID and all the suffering that brings. Imagine now, just dream for a moment, what a world needs. What a world like that needs, it needs that joy. Imagine now for the moment what our week could now look like. Our week ahead could be this, the Holy Spirit producing the fruit of the Spirit of joy within us as we have our joy in Jesus and then sharing about that with people. Sharing about how, how we're coping during COVID, how we're having joy and suffering. Let me tell you about how I, I cope. I, I actually have hope, not in things even getting better necessarily, but in Jesus. That's where my hope is. Let me tell you about it. And if you're feeling shy about doing that with your neighbours or people that don't yet know Jesus, here's a great thing. The church is actually a family. It's many things. It's also a great training group, isn't it? Practice on one another. And it's not just training, because it actually is encouraging. Sharing with one another the joy we have in Jesus and how we're coping in COVID is actually a wonderful way to encourage one another and help us sharpen one another up and encourage us to then tell others. You can start this week around the dinner table. If you're in a home with other people, not all of us are, but if that's you, you could start by asking them, your kids, the other adults there, sharing about your joy. Now, get this, we're allowed to have 10 people in our homes now. So you could have people in your home and share. 
You could do it after church, you could do it online, you could do it in person, you could replace all the angst on social media with all the sharing of joy we have in Jesus. How about that for an idea? Because He is where our happiness is found. Let's pray. Our gracious God, You have given us Your Holy Spirit, You've breathed these words into being in the Bible. And so we pray now, produce the fruit of the Spirit in us that is joy. Help us to be happy by your Holy Spirit, by placing our happiness in Christ, finding our happiness in Him and then producing that happiness for others to also find Him too. Let us as broken people now rise up and rejoice, put a new song in our hearts, We're asking for joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing our last song together, um, New Song in My Heart. Please stand with us.